There was a park ranger at Yellowstone National Park who was leading a group of hikers up on a kind of a fire lookout. The ranger was so intent on telling the hikers about the flowers and the animals that he was just captivated by uh, that he considered the messages on the two-way radio that he was carrying very distracting, so he decided to turn it off. As the group neared the tower, the ranger was met by a nearly breathless lookout and, and who asked why he hadn't responded to the messages on his radio. And a grizzly bear had been seen stalking the group and the authorities were trying to warn them of danger. When we choose to tune out God and his wisdom and choose to stubbornly continue in what we want, then danger could lie close at hand. Foolishness is choosing what you want to do when you want to do it. It's seeing what you want to see when you want to see it. Foolishness is spending money you don't have to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't like. Foolishness is simply indulging in the moment without thinking about the future consequences of those choices. It's living for the I have to have it right now syndrome. Rather than I'm content with what God has given me and I can wait. When we don't listen and when we stubbornly choose to do it our way, we walk into things that can have severe consequences in the short and long term. Famous pastor uh, J.I. Packer once said, the opposition of wisdom is folly, meaning the short-term self-indulgence, which marks out the person who doesn't think about long-term priorities and goals, but lives on a day-to-day basis asking, what is the most fun thing to do right now? End quote. And that's what this passage is all about. Solomon takes this chapter and he contrasts Two very distinct uh, philosophies here, and he likens those philosophies to two women. Lady Wisdom versus Madam Folly. Solomon has instructed his son in the first nine chapters of this book about these two women. So let's briefly contrast them. Madam Folly, which represents worldly wisdom, is not a prostitute, but she is an adulteress, Proverbs 2.16. She recklessly pursues what she can't have. She wants the forbidden fruit. She wants the conquest of something that doesn't belong to her. She doesn't see that her actions are leading her down a path of destruction. Solomon says that she leaves the companion of her youth, which is her husband, Proverbs 2.17. The one who gets involved with her must deal with her angry husband. Proverbs chapter 6, 29 through 35. She seduces her victim by seductively and deceptively telling him that her husband is not home. Proverbs 7, 19 through 20. Madam Folly is godless and immoral who turns her back on God. And it's interesting that she's called a foreign woman which has a negative Hebrew connotation. Solomon is suggesting that this woman is pagan rather than having a faith and a trust and an abiding in the God of Israel. She has a form of godliness, but she denies its power. 
She's always learning new insights, new principles, but she never arrives to the knowledge of the truth. She loves to gain knowledge, uh, and she sees herself as wise, but really she's a fool because her knowledge is wrapped up in herself rather than the fear and the knowledge of the Lord. This foreign woman Solomon knows all too well, for he married over 700 of them. I can't even, I can barely handle one wife. 700? Come on. And it ruined him. It ruined him. He turned his back on God and his life was destroyed. 1 Kings 1.11 If Madam Folly is godless, then Lady Wisdom is godlike. Wisdom, as represented in Proverbs, is not an abstract commodity, a philosophy, a pithy Zen statement, but it's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. She offers to give men her spirit, Proverbs 1.23. She guards men and delivers them from the way of death, Proverbs 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 33, chapter 2, verse 16, chapter 4, 6 through 9. She is called a tree of life in Proverbs 3.18, an expression familiar to us from the Garden of Eden and from the paradise of God. Lady Wisdom is described as a pure virgin. She's chaste. She walks with the Lord in joy and holiness and purity. By the way, holiness and joy and purity all go together. This is the woman that Solomon says, this is the one I want you to have a wholesome, intimate relationship with that can be enjoyed. Lady Wisdom is someone that would make a great companion and that will last a long time with joy and peace. In fact, Solomon says that Lady Wisdom is more precious than the most expensive jewels in the world and nothing that you desire will ever compare with her. Proverbs 3 verse 15. So Solomon encourages his son to stick with her because she will guard you, love you, and care for you all of her days. All of her days. All Lady Wisdom asks is that you stick really close to her and learn from her. And if you prize her, she will exalt you and honor you far above all that you can imagine or think. She will honor you if you embrace her. Proverbs, Proverbs 4, 6 through eight. Solomon says, say to wisdom that you are my sister and call understanding your intimate friend. So the definition of wisdom is the correct use of knowledge. It's learning from a submissive, humble spirit of the Lord Jesus, where he showers you with it. And if this book of Proverbs describes using knowledge correctly as wisdom, then folly, which is my assignment this morning, is using knowledge incorrectly. So how does Solomon describe Madam Folly? Well, let's go ahead and take a look in our passage this morning. In your Bibles, take a look at verse 13 of Proverbs 9. Solomon says, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and she knows nothing. If the simple accept, and when I say simple, the word simple there in the Hebrew means naive or gullible or I mean, if you tell somebody gullible sounds like oranges, if you spell, if you pronounce it out, some people would actually do it. 
oh, that was, come on, throw me a bone. <laughs> Somewhat funny. Anyway, I guess it wasn't. Uh, but if the naive and the gullible accept Lady Wisdom's invitation, they'll attend a feast. However, in this section of scripture, if they accept Madame Folly's invitation, they will attend a funeral. Solomon describes her as loud. And the word loud used here in the Hebrew is the word hama, and it means to make a tumultuous noise. It means turbulent, a roar. It's actually used in the Old Testament to describe the tempestuous sea, the roaring of the seas in the storm. She's constantly drawing attention to herself. She has the most selfies, the most likes, the most snaps, and the most Instagram posts. She knows how to be seductive, and yet she doesn't know anything. She's, she's not ignorant. She's stupid. Do you know the difference? Ignorant is just when you don't know something and you do it, but stupidity is knowing something and doing it anyway. This word hama is used in other places in Scripture to describe this tempestuous, out-of-control nature of who she is. How about Potiphar's wife? She was very unruly. She was rich and she was bored. And she wanted what she couldn't have. She wanted Joseph. But he did what we all should do. He ran from Madame Folly. He had no regard. She had no regard for her husband, who was a very powerful man in Egypt. She had no regard for his reputation, for their marriage, or their family. She also was blind to the fact that Joseph was a respected man who feared God, who would eventually rise to the second most powerful man in the world. Little did she know, and it makes you wonder what happened to her after Joseph came to power. You ever wonder? You ever wonder about that? The Bible doesn't say, but it's interesting to think about, isn't it? But knowing Joseph, he probably had mercy on her. Madam Folly is worldly wisdom. She's loud. She's clamorous. Well, what is worldly wisdom? Well, James tells us. James says this. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. But listen, it is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Paul calls selfish ambition demonic. That's frightening. And that should all cause us to pause. He goes on to say, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But listen to this. This is the good news. But the wisdom that comes from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It is impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Worldly wisdom is loud, enticing, without any sense. Godly wisdom is quiet, 
and meek. Meekness means to have strength under control. And it ponders her path. Worldly wisdom is rooted in selfish ambition. It invites you to take as much for yourself as you want, but leaves you wanting and empty. But godly wisdom is rooted in ambition for the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ in his glory. And it invites you to give yourself away and leaves you with abundance and fulfillment. Worldly wisdom is demonic. It has a spirituality and power, but it's rooted in the underworld. Godly wisdom is well godly. It is spiritual and powerful and rooted in heaven above in Jesus Christ. Worldly wisdom is jealous. It wants what it can't have and it will do anything to get it. Jealousy offers happiness in comparison to others, but it always fails. It always leads to despair because there will always be others better than us. But godly wisdom rejoices in the success of others. Because our joy is not derived in comparing ourselves to one another, but rather God's acceptance of us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Worldly wisdom manifests itself in vile practice and sin. It travels deeper and deeper to find satisfaction, but it never finds it. But godly wisdom manifests, manifests itself in joy and good works and peace. It operates first from a sense of rest, from a place of rest. It works not to be satisfied, but works from a place of satisfaction. Worldly wisdom says you need a plan when God calls. But godly wisdom says the planning is already done when God calls. And that's how Madame Folly behaves. Oh, you know her, right? You do know her. You're having trouble paying your bills. You're stressed out about money. Inflation and gas prices are rising. And you don't know where the money is going to come from to get you through the rest of the month. And all of a sudden, an ad pops up on one of your YouTube videos promising that if you buy this person's amazing program, you'll make 10K a month in no time without any effort at all. They're so self-assured, so loud, so confident, very enticing. Makes perfect sense, right? So you whip out your credit card and you buy the program. Then you get into it only to find out it's just a bunch of malarkey. It's past your pay grade, skill set, and gift mix. And now you're stuck with more debt, and there's too much month at the end of the money. In Matthew 16, 13 through 20, which Tara read, Jesus asked his disciples what people were saying about him, who he was. The disciples, of course, answered in typical Hebrew fashion as to what people suspected that he was or who he was. John the Baptist, maybe? Which is strange because John the Baptist was killed. He was beheaded by Herodias. And it would be strange for them to think that, but maybe they thought John the Baptist came back to life. His ministry was widespread and powerful at one point, so I guess it's a good guess. Other people were saying that Elijah was possibly him. Because after all, in, in the, the Italian book Malachi, chapter 4, verse 5 says that, come on, people, these are funny. I guess not. 
Malachi, the Italian prophet. Feta oh. cheese. All, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Malachi 4, 5 says that Elijah will be one of the two witnesses in Revelation before the second coming of Christ. So that, that's a good guess. Jeremiah? Well, he was a prophet who brought warning of judgment on Israel during his career. By the way, did you know that Jeremiah didn't have one single convert in his entire ministry? But yet, that's right. But... I think he's an example for us when God has called us to our certain ministries, wherever they are, we feel like we don't see any fruit. If we're obedient to him and his calling on our lives, we are successful. Just remember that. But yeah, Jeremiah brought the hammer down. Seems like Jesus could be that guy. But then Jesus asked, who do you say? that I am to the disciples. And that's the million dollar question, isn't it? It's not what others are saying, but who do you say that I am? What's your confession? Of course, Peter has a great moment here. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And of course, Jesus said, you are correct, Simon, Peter. It's when, he cha- when Jesus changes his name for you're Peter. I'm sorry, he said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Peter got it right. And Jesus said that upon Peter's confession in his heart is how Jesus would build his church. No, Peter's not the first pope. Sorry, my Catholic brothers and sisters. It's just not true. I love you, but it's not true. Uh, that's, that's how Jesus regenerates people. He makes them alive on that confession. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's Romans 10. So the Father in heaven revealed Jesus to Peter and Peter received that by faith and was rewarded. It was a great day for Peter, man. I bet he was sticking his chest out going, yeah. Because you know the disciples, they were always arguing with one another about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. So Peter must have felt really good about himself. Oh, but then, a few verses later, Peter started listening to Madame Folly. Instead Instead of staying with Lady Wisdom. You see, Peter knew he had it right about Jesus, but as soon as Jesus began to tell the disciples about his death, and resurrection, Peter thought his plan to fame and power with Jesus was going to be extremely interrupted. It upset Peter so much that he actually took Jesus aside and rebuked him. Can you imagine rebuking God? Wait, Jesus, what's all this nonsense you're talking? This is ridiculous for you to speak this way. Now, Jesus, here's what we're going to do. As soon as you march into Jerusalem and by your power, take the throne and establish Israel as the worldwide power, I'll set up my enterprise and we can rule together, as you can hear Darth Vader's voice. 
See, Peter lost at that point because he was only thinking of himself. He wasn't thinking about the mission of Jesus redeeming mankind from sin. So what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. It's a bad day when Jesus calls you Satan. It's just a bad day. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see, Peter didn't realize or see Lady Wisdom in Jesus going to the cross. He thought it was just foolishness. And that's what Madame Folly does, though, right? She tries to figure out ways how to use Jesus for her own personal gain. But Lady Wisdom sees the cross and submits to Jesus in every way, knowing that God's wisdom is best. best. Which, by the way, 1 Corinthians tells us that, that God's wisdom is foolishness to the world. In fact, 1 Corinthians is one or two, I can't remember, but says the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisest man. But Lady Wisdom calls out and says, don't worry about your bills because my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. Instead of trying your new great ideas to get out of the hole you're in, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live or do this or that. James 4.15. Instead of killing yourself with long hours and backbreaking work, you should rest and realize, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Psalm 127, 1 and 2. Madam Folly is loud and clamorous, but Lady Wisdom is quiet and contemplative. In one of Aesop's fables, there was a donkey walking through the woods, and he finds the skin of a lion. Hunters had the lion, hunters killed the lion and left the skin to dry in the sun. And the donkey put on the lion's skin and was delighted to discover that all the other animals were terrified of him and ran away when he appeared. Rejoicing in his newfound respect, the donkey brayed his happiness only to give himself away by his voice. The moral of the fable was clear. Fine clothes may disguise, but silly words will disclose a fool. The donkey should have been satisfied uh, with who God made him to be, but he wanted to be something he thought was lacking, but certainly wasn't true to who he really was. He wasn't lacking anything. And in the end, he was eaten alive because he chose Madam Folly over Lady Wisdom. Look at verse 14. Solomon says that this woman, she sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Notice Madam Folly is just sitting at the door of her house, sitting perched on an elevated place, She's not preparing anything for her guests, like Lady Wisdom. Verse 1 and 2 says that Lady Wisdom built her house on a solid foundation and made preparations to welcome her guests, all who received her. Verse 3 says that she sent her young women to call 
from the highest places of the city. And this speaks to Madame Foley's laziness. All she wants is to see and to be seen. She's a predator. She's, she calls gullible, naive people to herself, just like Lady Wisdom. She just calls out to people who are just minding their own business, going on the path that they need to go on to get where they need to go. She is calling them to get off that path and to come to her house. That's the difference between Madame Folly and Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom sent her young maidens to the high places to invite them into her presence. What does that mean? It means that Lady Wisdom, her home was in the lower part of the city and went unnoticed because she's humble. She was never calling attention to herself, but offering herself to anyone who would receive her. Madame Folly, on the other hand, she loved the high places. She loves to be exalted. She wants to be at the top, not humbling herself into a lowly position. I'm teaching through the book of Revelation on Tuesday nights at my house. And as I was preparing to teach Revelation chapter 17 and 18, which speaks about the destruction of Babylon, I did some research. Babylon has its roots in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. After the flood, God told Noah and his family to spread out, to multiply and to fill the earth. And after a couple of generations, mankind did not listen. They didn't do that. And there was a guy by the name of Nimrod. In fact, Kirk and I were talking about this at uh, the Food Truck Friday. Nimrod's name means we will rebel. And the Bible says that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And the word Hebrew, the word uh, there in the Hebrew for before can also mean against or in the face of. So instead of scattering, God started, or excuse me, Nimrod started building cities and gathering and organizing people in direct opposition to God. One of those cities was called Babylon. Genesis 11 says that a man organized himself, that man, mankind, organized himself and built this tower to the heavens called the Tower of Babel. The word Babel means confusion. This tower represented man's own greatness and power apart from God. The tower was where a religion was developed, where they observed the stars and constellations as a means to determine one's future and destiny. And today we call it astrology. It has its roots in ancient Babylon. Now, as legend has it or folklore has it, Nimrod married a woman named Semiramis. Nimrod, as legend has it, was killed one day. And Semiramis was widowed. Turns out that the deceased Nimrod impregnates Semiramis and gives birth to a child named Tammuz. So Tammuz was a product of, an, of a miracle birth, if you will. An immaculate conception. Do you see how the devil is a copycat? In fact, if you read through the book of Revelation, you'll see how the devil will copy God on one thing after another, after another, after another. Well, one day when, when Tammuz was grown, he was gored to death by a wild boar and he died. A few days later, he was resurrected and he came back to life. And a religion was developed right there in Babylon where the fixation of the worship 
was mainly on this woman and her son. In China, they called Semiramis Shang Mu, which means Holy Mother. The ancient Germans call her Hertha. The Scandinavians call her Dissa. The Druids call her Virgo Partitura, which means Mother of God. The Greeks call her Aphrodite with her miracle baby, Cupid. The Romans call her Venus with her miracle baby, Jupiter. And you see, in every region of the world, there is a fixation of this woman who miraculously has this child who died and came back to life. In fact, the ancient Hebrews called her Ashtaroth. Now, I'm not disparaging my Catholic brothers and sisters when I say this. Please understand. There's many of them that really love Jesus or are on fire for him. But there have been at times an unhealthy focus and fixation on Mary being exalted above Christ. In fact, in certain times within the Roman Catholic Church, some popes have declared that Mary is a co-redemptrix with Jesus. And that's just simply not biblical. The whole idea of this religion was to exalt the woman as the focal point of salvation. In fact, to celebrate Semiramis, the ancient Babylonians would cut down fir trees, fasten stands on them, and deck them with gold and jewels. You bunch of pagans! Me included. We, we do that, though. We redeem that by celebrating Christ at Christmas. In fact, did you know that Saddam Hussein purchased a nuclear reactor from the French in 1976 called the Osiris-class reactor? Saddam was on his way to being a world nuclear power. In fact, he spent billions rebuilding the city of Babylon because he thought, he literally thought he was the next Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, he had a coin minted. One side had had his inscription, the other side had King Nebuchadnezzar's inscription. He spent over $500 million just upgrading and updating the palace that he built in Babylon. Uh, uh, So he buys this nuclear reactor and uh, Israeli intelligence gets a hold of this and they planned an operation called Operation Babylon back in 1982 where they flew fighter jets under low altitude in Iraqi airspace going undetected, and they destroyed that reactor. And Saddam Hussein, do you know what he named that reactor? Tammuz. Isn't that interesting? Saddam Hussein wanted to revive Babylon in its glory. Brothers and sisters, don't be like Madame Folly and sit in the high places. Don't promote yourself. Don't sit on the high places And get attention for yourself and promote yourself. Don't be that mom that tells a group of tired moms that she is grateful to be well-rested due to the success she's had in sleep training her three-month-old daughter. Not a good move. Don't be that realtor that shares an article published in Realtor Magazine on your social media page that features you as having the top sales of the month. Don't be that physical trainer at the gym who wears only a sports bra and short workout shorts to convey the message that if others follow your lead, they too can have a similar body. Don't be that guy who impresses people with your theological knowledge, speaking so high and lofty that no one can even understand you. I'm speaking to myself on this as well. 
Don't be that person who tries to impress others with your skills, your talents, and your abilities. It only makes you look self-centered. Instead, use the gifts and talents God has given you to serve others as he directs. Now, we know that we're all full of good ideas and we're full of mental acumen. We really are. We all know what we're good at. We all know who we are and what we can do. Let's just resign ourselves to the fact that the gifts that we have belong to Jesus and let's let him put them on display when he chooses to do so. And for goodness sake, please stop taking so many selfies. Sorry, it's just a point of contention. The person you are posing as on social media is not really the real you anyway. What makes the church so wonderful, so special, is that we can come into God's presence as broken people. And we can share our struggles, that we're all jacked up in in one way or another. We're all flawed, and yet we're all accepted and loved by Jesus because of what he's done for us. Jesus put it this way, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Look at verse 16 through 18. Solomon says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Before Tara came up to read this, she leaned over that last verse there, verse 18. He does not know the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. She said, it's going to take all I have to read the scripture and not sing Hotel California. She's right. Madam Folly offers stolen water and bread, which can seem sweeter because of their risk and danger. There's something exciting. There's something hypnotic and enticing about stolen bread, about taking taking something that is not ours. But if we allow it to control us, then one sin will lead to another, and sinful behavior seems more exciting than living the Christian life. And we end up saying, Proverbs 5, verse 12, how I hated discipline and my heart reproved, despised reproof. Sin has long-term consequences and always ends in death. And instead of a banquet that you'll be attending at a Lady Wisdom's house, you'll be attending a funeral at Madame Folly. We need not forsake the banquet of Lady Wisdom and exchange it for stolen bread. Proverbs twenty seventeen even says this. This is the result that you get with stolen bread. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man. But afterwards, his mouth will be full of gravel. James 1, 14 and 15 says, Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. David found this out all too well, didn't he? He should have been off to war there in 2 Samuel 7. But instead... He chose to take it easy and sit on his laurels, his past victories. He probably got bored, so he took a walk on the palace roof. And he saw Bathsheba bathing. And he sent for her, and he committed adultery with her. 
and had her husband murdered. Many say David's first mistake was looking longingly at Bathsheba. But his mistake was that he should have been off to war defending the nation of Israel. He should have been in the fight. He should have been in the battle. Brothers, keep in the battle that you are called to. Don't be like David. Don't put yourself in a position where you're exposed to water and bread that doesn't belong to you. Paul tells Timothy to wage the good warfare. 1 Timothy 1.18 Fight for your children, your wives, your brothers and sisters in Christ. The Christian life is not a playground. It is a battleground. And we're in a fight to advance the kingdom of God one soul at a time. It didn't end well with David either, did it? He got caught and the prophet Nathan took David to task on God's behalf. And David lost the child he impregnated Bathsheba with. David's son Amnon raped his daughter Tamar. David's son Absalom tried to steal the kingdom right from under him. People in Israel lost respect for him as king. The repercussions were huge. David did repent and God did forgive him. But God also said, the sword shall never depart from your house. But thank the Lord that he has grace and he can even work through our failures and restore us where we need to be. In closing, Madam Folly offers bread that is stolen. But look at what Lady Wisdom offers in verse 5. Look at verse 5 of Proverbs. She says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Bread and wine. Does that sound familiar? Look at what she invites you into. It's communion, right? She invites us into communion with God. That's the place where Lady Wisdom invites us to be. It starts with the bread and the wine. That is where true wisdom can be found in communion with the Lord. Jesus is wisdom, and we will know wisdom through the bread and the wine. She has mixed it herself. Where where areas the woman folly, she doesn't want to mix anything. She wants to steal it. The bread that you are seeking, brothers and sisters, the bread that nourishes and satisfies you cannot be stolen, but it can only be received. And Jesus invites you to receive it, to restore you back into fellowship with him. You know how you screwed up this week, and so do I. But the bread and the wine Christ offers to say, let me restore you back into communion, fellowship with me. Wisdom is found in the bread and the wine. I need you, Lord. I need your wisdom for what you've done for me on Calvary's cross. For paying the penalty of my sin. For breaking the power of sin on my behalf. For rising from death. Help me to eat this bread and drink this wine of you, Jesus. Jesus even said in John 6, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Make me wise, Jesus, by consuming what you've done on my behalf. You, Lord, are the bread of life, and your gospel is where I can find true wisdom. It's where I can find joy. It's where I can find that life that makes sense and has purpose again. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood 
abides in me and I in him. No, he's not talking about cannibalism. He's talking about his finished work on the cross. As the living father sent me, I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. John 6, 55 through 58. In a minute, we're going to be invited to the Lord's table. If you've eaten stolen bread this week, if it is turned to gravel in your mouth and it's left you a bad taste, then come to the table where the Lord Jesus offers free bread for you of his body and the free wine of his blood to make you whole again. You can always come back. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, but then rises again. Peter says, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Seven. And Jesus said, 70 times seven. Come back to Jesus and you will feel the warmth and embrace and comfort of Lady Wisdom. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this word. Thank you for... Thank you for inspiring Solomon to write this. And thank you that you graciously invite us to come back. Thank you that you graciously invite us to be cleansed of stolen bread and to be washed with pure water and to be satisfied uh, with, with your provision. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for Lady Wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.